I would be reading Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongues from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this is, has touched your lips, your guilt has taken away, your sin atoned me. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Amen. Well done, Good morning, church. It is a special day. We're glad you're here. If you're visitors, welcome home. What took you so long? Uh, we're glad that you're with us. Uh, seniors, big day for you. Uh, absolutely. We're going to miss you. Well, we miss you already. I don't do special sermons for, you know, Mother's Day sermon, um, Father's Day sermon. Because, by the way, those are too predictable. Mother's Day it is, aren't you the most wonderful people in the world? And Father's Day, you guys need to do a better job. <laughs> That's what they always are. We are very much Christ-centered here in everything that we think, say, and do. However, we are giving some special time to our seniors today because, frankly, that is where we have poured much of our treasure through the years, much of our time, our work, our prayer, our classes, the way that the shepherds have arranged the staff, the teaching of this church and the like, we put treasure there. So we're going to talk about them. But we're going to do it only from time to time because we're still focused upon Jesus and upon the Word. And we've been uh, preaching through the Bible, and we're in Isaiah today. We're taking two weeks to look at Isaiah because try to keep the amens and applause and flung babies to a minimum, but the sermon will be a bit shorter today. There you are. Uh, I, normally people uh, break out into paroxysms of joy at that, say, but it'll be a bit shorter to give us some more time for our prayer and the senior video and the like. But this is a very long, complicated book, especially if you've gotten a bit spoiled with Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon, and then you hit Isaiah. And it's like, oh, recess is over. We're back in school now, and it's not an easy school. An overview of the structure might help. I'll just do this quickly. Chapter 1, God introduces charges against Judah. That's never how you want a letter to start. But he introduces his charges. Chapter 2 starts with five really good verses of good news. And then goes, we go for a couple of chapters of doom and gloom. Closing with a few verses in chapter 4 about the restoration of Zion. So that's, that's good news. Then chapter 11 and 12 show up. Joy, 
deliverance, the, the wonderful salvation we have in God, and this is where you'd like him to end the book. But he doesn't. Right when we're feeling upbeat and happy, we run into chapter 13 through 23, where all of the bad nations of the, of the world get what's coming to them. They've done wrong. God's going to get them. That's all there is to it. And at that time, you might actually be cheering because, yay, the bad guys are getting theirs. But then comes a long wo series of woes and judgments against his own people. And they're terrible. And the graphic nature, nature of these about women and children being left alone to starve or people driven out into the desert or... Um, harvest failing and everything falling apart and you can be going oh my goodness what why us it seems schizophrenic and it's a big question seniors you're going to have to face this more than once in your life and maybe you've done it already how do you keep your trust in god in dark times there are times where you might wake up singing songs of joy and you just feel so close to God. When we lived in Colorado and we'd climb up one of the mountains, well, drive up one of the mountains, get out of the truck, look about for a minute. Uh, to me, outside's where I park the truck. Uh, that's, uh, people say, I love the outside. Well, fair enough. But we'd drive up to the passes and we'd stand out there and look. And it's so easy to be overawed by the majesty of God. Flying, uh, sometimes out of Colorado, I'd fly to... Um, California or I'd fly up to Seattle and you'd fly over the, the Rocky Mountains and you'd see the rivers and the, it was amazing and you can feel so close to God and you woke up with a song in your heart and everything's great but then there are those other days weeks months periods of life how do you believe in God when it's all gone sideways how do you keep your faith going whenever it doesn't seem like you're getting anything out of it and I know I'm talking directly to some of you because that's the way we are as a people. I had a guy tell me, he, he literally just put it this way. He said, yeah, church, yeah, I tried that. Didn't work for me. Well, you know, it doesn't always work for me either. Does it always work for you? Sometimes, well, frankly, one of the reasons I'm a minister is so I'll show up. Because there are times that I, I, there are times I wake up in the morning, I don't think, ooh, ooh, yay, church day. I wake up thinking, I've got to go anyway, so may as well be pleasant. <laughs> How do we do this? Last week on uh, lesson on Ecclesiastes, our, our great brother Albert Lemons reminded me the next day, he said there are three times in that book, he says, there are things that are crooked that will not be made straight. How are we supposed to live on a broken planet that isn't going to get better anytime soon? Seniors, I wish, I, I'm looking over here like you're all sitting here, but I have the feeling you're everywhere today. Um, I wish I could tell you. We have worked hard, we have done our best, and we are leaving you a better planet than the one we got. But we're not. We're giving you a broken one. Fair enough, we got a broken one but we broke it a bit more for you. <laughs> Hope you like puzzles. This is going to be difficult. And everybody you meet out there is broken. 
And the thing about if you live in a world of broken pottery and broken glass, when it hits each other, you can cut each other. And it can hurt. God is the only one that can take our broken bits of glass, our broken lives, and arrange them into a beautiful mosaic, a stained glass window of glory. On our own, we're just broken glass. So we come to Isaiah. We need a lens through which we can read this book and deal with that mix of judgment and blessings that are found there. And one of the problems is that the judgment seem to be fairly immediate and the blessings are very long-term. Judgments are coming now. Your children and grandchildren and their children will see the blessings. How do you keep your faith? Knowing that you may never see them. Sometimes it needs to be said, earth can be like hell for the children of heaven. It can be difficult. I, it bothers me. It does. And I try not to be bothered because who am I to judge another man's servant, God says. And the answer to that is I'm nobody to do that. But every so often, I'm trapped in an area where there's religious TV on. Now, I don't turn it on myself because I can get in a bad mood without outside help. I, I don't need it. But you'll sometimes see them, and they look very well-to-do, and the building looks very nice. We have a nice building, too. And it looks like there's a lot of money laying about, and they're talking. Everything is triumph, 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 triumph. And I'm going, I have so little in common with this. My life has not been one triumph after another. What about yours? It's been pretty good. I'm not complaining. But there have been some struggles. There have been some pains. Sometimes it's been like hell to be a child of heaven on this planet. Look at these passages from the book of Job. And remember as we read them that God liked Job. I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly. With the, the, the might of your hand, you attack me. You snatch me up and drive me before the wind. You toss me about in the storm. When I hoped for good, evil came. When I looked for light, then came darkness. The churning inside me never stops. Days of suffering confront me. I go about blackened, but not by the sun. I stand up in the assembly and cry for help. Even today, my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. If only I knew where to find him. If only I could go to his dwelling. I, I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say to me. Would he vigorously oppose me? No, he would not press charges against me. There, the upright can establish their innocence before him. And there, I would be delivered forever from my judge. But if I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. And when he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. And he liked Job. It had took me years to learn that sometimes when all hell breaks loose, you're doing something right. Sometimes that's a sign you are exactly where God needs you to be. 
that when all hell breaks loose and you say, but I'm a child of heaven, yeah, but it's not heaven yet. We are not alone in the universe and not everything out there likes us. We've got some work to do. How many of us have felt like Job? Fact is that we sometimes do get hurt by things that God could have stopped by lifting his little finger, but he didn't do it. It's hard to live in a world under judgment, but Paul puts it this way, poetically, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 19. We don't have that one. All right. He's going, yes, he did say it. Don't tell me. He says, all creation groans with us as if trying to give birth to what it should be. A new world, heaven, right here, right now. All creation groans with us. I look over and I see Lucas is with us. Hey, Lucas, anything new in your life? I, I, Lucas, came, Lucas came to be with us to be with the seniors today. Uh, he and his wife have a brand new baby boy. And... Um, they put a picture or two up on Facebook. In fact, if you took off pictures of Noble and Cats, there'd be no Facebook. <laughs> Keep putting them up, brother. He's a, he's a lovely boy. He's a lovely boy. We, we rejoice in the birth of a child because that's possibility. That's dreams. That's future. Your parents... That's the way they look at you. You're their baby. You will always be that baby, even when you don't want to be that baby, because you're their possibility. You're their hope. By the time they've given up on you, you'll deliver grandchildren, so they have something else. <laughs> but to our seniors and to the rest of you, let me just... Say, you've got permission to wrestle God. Holy people like Naomi and David went to God directly and said to him, where were you and what have you done to me? Naomi even called her neighbors around and said, see what God did to me. Job and Jeremiah questioned God and he, he worked with them. Here's the thing, when you're wrestling with God and you're questioning God, at least you're in contact with them. It's when you don't care about him and you don't talk to him and you don't wrestle these things that you have lost touch with him and you're in trouble. I want you to think for a minute, though. I want to shift it away from us and to him. I want you to think how impossible it is to be God. Now, not impossible that there is a God. There is a God. But think how impossible it is to have his job because every time he draws closer to us in history, what do we say? Back off. You're, you're getting too intrusive. And every time he backs off, we say, so where are you? Why aren't you doing more? We call him saying, God, bring down judgment upon those evil people. And he reminds us we're evil too. That's what happened in Isaiah. They kept saying, destroy the evil ones. And he said, that means I have to come after you too. No matter what he does, he cannot choose to be unrighteous. He cannot choose to ignore evil. He cannot choose to not care about justice. 
He is who he is. We do not get the God we want. We get the God who is. Our job is to learn to want the God who is. Same reason all those lands in chapters 13 through 23 come under judgment apply to Jerusalem, Israel, and Judah as well. If God is just, they've got to come under judgment too. Billy Graham was once asked back in the 80s, I believe, if America would come under judgment on Judgment Day. And his response was, if God does not judge America, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. I don't quote, quote Billy very often, but that was a good one. The same righteousness we call for comes upon us. Look at Isaiah 59. For our, rights, our offenses are many in your sight. In other words, we're also guilty. And our sins testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us and we acknowledge our iniquities. Rebellion, and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on our God, inciting revolt and oppression, uttering lies our hearts have conceived. So justice is driven back and righteousness stands at a distance. Look at this line. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Do you see why I call this a modern book? Watch your news and read that verse. Read your paper and read that verse. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. Nobody would attack you for trying to be righteous, would they? Have you looked at the news? Have you read the papers? Seniors, they're going to do it to you too. I'm going to stop. I'm coming back. We homeschooled our kids for a, a long period of time. I traveled a lot. I, I wanted them to be with me. I wanted to be in touch with them. We're not anti-school. But there was a time, I think my daughter was uh, 13 or so. We were driving along, and I said, Kara, one of these days you're not going to be in my classes. You're going to be in a big university. And you're going to have somebody come to you and say, there is no God, and you're going to need to learn how to answer that professor. She goes, oh, I've got that all sorted out. Really? What are you going to say? And she said, if the professor says there is no God, I'm going to go, yeah, right, bucko. <laughs> First of all, I'm ever so proud. Second, um, you might need detail. Let's go back to our passage, if you could put it back up. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. Do you remember Brad read, and thank you for reading for us, Brad. He read that God is looking about saying, who can I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah stands up and says, here I am, send me. God is looking for people who will stand up and take hell for the cause of heaven. But we have to do it. And the thing is, you will get more shots from other kids of heaven than you will from the world. You just got to get used to it. More Christians are brought down by friendly fire than from the world. Don't let them bring you down. 
Two responses are called for to all of this. The first is from us. We need to realize that we are in a world that is under judgment and decide we're going to live righteous lives anyway. Kids, what does every kid want? To grow up. They want to grow up at some level. They want to be in charge of their own lives. Well, here's how you know when you've made it. You know that you are emotionally and spiritually mature when you do what is right because it is right and regardless of any other consideration. Then you know you're grown up. David in Psalm 1, I'm sorry, Psalm 31, tells God that he needs saving from all the evil people about him and how horrible it is. But then he ends it in Psalm 31 by saying, but regardless of what you do or don't do, God... I'm going to follow you. Good response. Jesus turned to his apostles once and said, you're going to leave me too? And they said, where can we go? I think I've said this before, but just be aware that I love the church. I love the church of Christ with all my heart. I have issues with it and it, with me, but I'm very much Mrs. Noah. Because there are times I want to look about and say, I'm so tired of the other beasties in this room. And I'm so tired of the sticky walls. And I'm so tired of the smells. And I'm so tired of the rock. I'm out of here. Where are you going? That's the only boat. I'm not saying Church of Christ is the only church. What I'm saying is God's our only God. You get mad at him, you might as well talk to him because you can't leave. He's the only one. You're going to have to deal with him. Our response, to live righteously. But there's a better response, but it's one you can't make. He has to make it. And he did. His response is the one he made to this broken world. He sent his son, his treasure. Yesterday, I got to do something for the first time, and I have poorly phrased this a few times. I'm not sure how to phrase it. People said, what were you doing? I got to uh, be involved with the commissioning of ROTC officers yesterday at the University of Dayton. And it was an amazing thing. I'm connected to some of the parents because I, I did their leadership training things at Homeland Security or FBI Academy or Michigan State Police. And so they had told the lieutenant colonel, call Dr. Mead, get him in there. And so we had, had worked through the months and gotten this ready. And as I stand and watch each of them take their oath of office from one, get the pens of their, their, um, their gold, their butter bars, we would call them, uh, the, the second lieutenant bars put on by family members, and then turn to receive their first salute from a non-commissioned officer that they had chosen. It's all very beautiful, but I kept looking back at the moms and dads. They were sending their best. They were putting their best up there. God, and by the way, when I said poorly phrased, a couple times I've said it really quick and said, I commissioned the officers. Only the president can do that. I was just there when it happened, but I got to give the speech. How's that? That's a, and, but but that's, that's like six sentences, and so I don't know how to shorten that. You know, I, anyway. It was very lovely. I was glad to do it. Um, the point I'm trying to make is, what is the response to a broken world? You can either back up or go in. God went in. He didn't back up. 
He didn't build a compound. He didn't raise the gates. He sent his son, even though it cost him everything. And when Jesus came, he came like the least of us, not the best of us. I brought this up to uh, some of the staff members. I won't mention names because I forgot to ask permission. But they were talking about learning Spanish in school. And they had a teacher that told them that their accent was bad, but there wasn't a thing they could do about it. And they said, why? And they said, because you're from the South. And it's going to change the accent. Well, I get that. I understand that. And they were a little troubled by this. And I said, no, no. Have you ever noticed that every time Jesus or his people started speaking, people said, we can tell by the way you talk, you're ignorant and unlearned men. People from Nazareth and Galilee were known for having a hick accent. It was assumed they were too dumb to learn anything. People did not invest time or look up to them. Where did God send his son? Right there. Jeff Foxworthy has a lot of fun with that. But you go ahead, northern people, make fun of the southerners. But when you get to heaven, Peter's going to be saying, y'all get in the big truck. We're going to, you know. <laughs> but he didn't take a special name. He wasn't, you know, Ultron or something, a Megatroid or something. He took the name Jesus, which was the most common name of the day. He worked with his hands, lived in a family that was divided, because his brothers and sisters didn't believe that his mother was a righteous woman. Jesus did. He walked all around us as the least of us. Isaiah 53. We're about to transition into our time of communion. And I'm going to ask our seniors. It's not a requirement. But we would love it if you would. You see, you're still ours. And you're still a part of this story. Even though you're... You're moving to the university or to military or to other kinds of school here in a bit. You're still part of our story. And as a symbol of that, we would like to invite our seniors to go to the back to help serve communion. And our shepherds and their wives will go with you. If you'll go at this time. Now I want to read what Isaiah says about God's response. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty. Do you think of us about Jesus? All the pictures look pretty nice. The scripture says he didn't look handsome. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we would desire him. He was despised, rejected by man. A man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised. We held him in low esteem. But surely he took up our pain. He bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him 
the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and yet who of his generation protested? He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death, though he had done no malice, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring prolong his days. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many. That's us, brothers and sisters. He will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors and bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. I've asked two of our seniors to lead us in our remembrance of Jesus Christ. Visitors, you are welcome and encouraged to partake with us.